Ladies and gentlemen, Jason Zelda here with the final video of the Hidden from Jehovah's Witness series. Uh, this is video 10 part 2 or video 20 as it's the 20th video of the series and the final part where we finally end the series. Three years in my free time putting together videos to try to help people I don't know. I hope I'm being of help to people. I really hope that this series has really helped out a lot of people, opened their eyes about a lot of things. And after this video is over, I'm going to be journeying on to the next thing. I have no clue where this road is going to take me. But as far as all the Jehovah Witness stuff is concerned, I'll be finished. I'm done. I think 20 videos is enough. And as my buddy Isabella from way overseas told me a couple of videos ago, Jason, if they don't hear you after this many videos, then they're not going to hear you if you make another one. So you need to stop. And as I said in my Cult Busting 101 video, there comes a time when you have to learn when to tap out. You don't want to stay on the stage too long and overstay your welcome. And for that reason, I'll end the series at this one here, which will be the 20th video. It's going to be dealing with a topic that I haven't heard anybody deal with. So I'm going to deal with it here. This topic is more harming to people than even the shunning doctrine and some of these other things that they've put people through. And it is something that needs to be exposed. In the last video, I talked about the Watchtower's crimes and how they laugh in the face of authority. I showed you Jehovah's Witness leaders under oath in which they acknowledge that if law enforcement tells them to turn over to them information dealing with pedophilia and children being raped and molested within the Jehovah's Witness group, rather than turning those papers over, they'll destroy those papers so that the government can't have it and find out what's really going on. I showed you the evidence, showed you the under oath testimony so that you'd see it for yourself. I showed you the under oath testimony of a Jehovah's Witness leader asked directly if a Jehovah's Witness in your congregation committed murder, would you call the police on him? And you heard him say with your own ears and you saw it with your own eyes. You heard him say, no, he wouldn't call the police. He'll call the branch or as I call them, the suitor division to sweep it under the rug division of the Watchtower Society. I also dealt with how the Jehovah's Witness leadership, which is all man controlled, it's all men, no women, the Jehovah's Witness leadership and how they treat women and how they mistreat women and how women are abused. I put it all out there for you guys. Came across another one. This here, out of Utah, a woman, was a minor at the time, raped by a Jehovah's Witness authority figure. 
When she came forward about it, they pulled her into the back room, only to find out that the guy who raped her is back there with the elders. She found out the hard way that a lot of these elders are all in on it together. But not only did she find out that these elders are all in on it together, but this particular Jehovah's Witness that raped her, he recorded the whole thing. And by her own testimony, for over four straight hours, they continued to play back the recording of her being raped so that they could hear the sexual sound effects she was making. They claimed they were doing it in order to try to find out whether she was consenting or not. Really, guys? Really? Really? The same way guys read porn magazines for the, uh, for the stories, right? They like the advertisements. Yeah, sure. You're trying to find out whether she's consenting or not. To her credit, she's suing the Watchtower Society. And I hope she nails their behinds to the wall. So did their leader have to come out on TV again and say, hey, uh, there's more money going out than coming in again. I got a feeling when the watchtower falls, there's going to be a lot of ladies that are lifting up that foundation to push that thing over. There comes a time when the ladies, I think, are going to have enough. And I think part of the reason why they haven't risen up is because they didn't know that this kind of thing was happening to other women. I think now that they're starting to find out, things are going to start to change. If you've been raped, molested by one of these Jehovah's Authority figures, this is my advice. Doesn't matter how long it's been, 10, 20 years, sue them. Don't just sue the Watchtower Society as a whole. You can sue them as a whole, but also sue the individual elders, the individual overseers. You see, if you sue them as a whole, they can do a fundraiser and raise money to pay for this. But when you sue the individual elders and the individual overseers, the other members of the group might not be so hefty to come to the aid of an overseer they don't even know, of an elder they don't know. <clears throat> sue them. But the only thing they really seem to care about is their money. You start hitting them in the pocketbook, all of a sudden you're going to start seeing some changes. And a little change never hurt. Big change and big bucks feels real good when it's coming to you. Because they took something from you. If you were raped or if you were molested, they took something from you you can't get back. So take something from them by suing them. What you got to lose? In the last video, I took the opportunity to unsheath the sword and come to the aid of the women who had been used and misused by the Watchtower Society. 
It's about time somebody did. And the more women that are informed about what's going on inside this group, hopefully the more that'll be willing to sue when they realize it's not just them. It's been a lot of them. Around the world, this has been happening. It needs to come to a stop. But it won't come to a stop if nobody knows what's going on. So something else has been going on. And people have not been putting the pieces of the puzzle together. Until now. One thing that surprises me is how the American news media functions. Not only the things that they report, but the things that they choose not to report. I'm going to play for you a news program. It's short. And when we come back, I'm going to fill in the blanks that they left out. Take a listen. Now to the tragedy in Toledo. Three young children, two adults, killed all of apparent carbon monoxide poisoning. Police found the bodies of 54-year-old Sandy Ford, her 32-year-old son, Andy Ford, and her three grand grandchildren, 10-year-old Paige Hayes, 6-year-old Logan Hayes, and 5-year-old Madeline Hayes yesterday. Toledo police call it a murder-suicide amid a custody battle. Lee, the three kids were students at Whiteford Elementary School here in Sylvania, and the district superintendent says grief counselors were at that school in every single classroom all day for students and teachers, and they will remain there as long as they need to throughout the next few weeks. Now, the superintendent says this is um, a tragic and shocking for not only the community here for the school community district wide, but we went back out to the neighborhood and the neighborhood is still in shock as investigators release new gruesome details. It's leaf collection day on Harvest Lane. A street haunted by the gruesome discovery inside this family garage. This is an absolute tragedy. Um, we've lived here 15 years and nothing like this has ever happened in the neighborhood. Kelly Lewandowski lives two doors down from where yesterday emergency crews used a sledgehammer to open the barricaded garage door. Police found five people dead inside a Honda Civic with hoses leading into the car from the exhaust of a Dodge truck left running. The bodies are 10-year-old 5th grader Paige Hayes, 6-year-old 2nd grader Logan Hayes, and 5-year-old kindergartner Madeline Hayes. Also dead, pictured here, their grandmother, 54-year-old Sandy Ford, and their uncle, who is not in the picture, 32-year-old Andy Ford. Police call it a murder-suicide, saying the grandmother and uncle killed the kids and themselves because of a custody battle. It is literally something that happened in my own backyard, and it just never, never realized anything like this could happen. It's going to take everyone to help with the healing process. The superintendent of Sylvania City School says there is a counselor in every classroom at Whiteford Elementary School. It's going to be a longer process with our, our fifth graders. Uh, but even at the kindergarten and second grade, there was sitting in a circle and talking about the, the student uh, that is not with them today. That, and that we've lost a friend, and what does that mean? 
It was the grandfather who called 911 yesterday asking police to come out after he got home. He found suspicious notes from his wife, son, and grandchildren, and then he couldn't find his wife and he couldn't get in the garage. We reached out to him today as well as the parents of those children. They're not commenting as this investigation continues. Kids' parents, Mandy and Chris Hayes, reached out to the agency for help with behavior issues for one of their five kids. Now, to help alleviate some of the stress on the family, the parents asked the grandparents to watch three of the children. When mom and dad wanted the kids back, that's when we apparently saw yesterday's tragedy. Well, you know, that's not an unusual uh, family situation. We see that kind of uh, uh, families feuding and fussing uh, a lot. Obviously, this dispute went much further, further than anyone expected or imagined last Wednesday and Saturday when officials with Children's Services visited both the parents and the grandparents' homes. In this case, we had just begun, so we were in the process of trying to figure out what's the best way for any of us to, to act. The three children who lost their lives lived here on Harvest Lane since 2009. Dean Sparks, the executive director of Children's Services, says the custody dispute triggered the Wednesday visits. Uh, this was a, a, a reportedly is, is very similar to many situations that we have, uh, particularly if somebody's been caring for a child for a, uh, a little while. Um, uh, I don't want them to go back. They're not ready. They're not going to take as good care of them as I can. When Children's Services visited the home of the parents, Mandy and Chris Hayes, Saturday, all the kids were with them. The parents always maintained their legal parental rights. So the big question everyone wants answered now is what could have been so bad at the parents' home that Sandy Ford, their grandmother, would want to take their lives? We're only in this for a couple of days. Uh, so we're saying what's so bad about it. We don't know. We only know that there's a lot of conflict. There are allegations back and forth. Children's services cannot prevent a removal. Spark says they were working with other service providers to get this issue resolved. Now, there's one gap in this story between Saturday when mom and dad had the kids and Monday when they were found dead at their grandparents' home. At some point in there, the kids were moved to their grandparents' home. At this point, no one is commenting on exactly what happened in that three-day period. Okay, now you just heard this news article. Tragic. Grandmother, uncle, kidnaps three kids, takes them to their home, kills them. It's terrible. Beyond terrible. But there's something that was left out of the newscast. So let me fill you in. What they didn't tell you is Sandy, the grandmother, and the uncle who killed those three kids were Jehovah's Witnesses. The mother, Mandy, had left the Jehovah's Witnesses. You see, it's important to do your research to get down to the bottom line of things and find out what's the real story behind the story. <coughs> There's a website that keeps track of Watchtower crimes. It says here, Toledo, Ohio, Ford family murder-suicide, November 2012, Toledo, Ohio. 
Jehovah's grandmother named Sandy K. Ford, age 56, accompanied by her 32-year-old son named Andy R. Ford, plotted to execute a joint suicide pact in which they also murdered three children of another daughter of Sandy Ford named Mandy Lynn Hayes, who reportedly no longer followed the Ford family watchtower cult religion. That was left out of the newscast. They're saying they can't understand what would motivate this woman to kill these three kids. It says here, Mandy Hayes had dropped off the three kids at school on the following Monday morning. However, Sandy Ford was waiting for them inside the school. We're going to deal with that. The last paragraph says... The school had informed Mandy Hayes that her children were not in class, so she reportedly telephoned Toledo police in an attempt to check to see if her mother had kidnapped the three children, but they refused to even make a welfare check at the Ford home. The news media forgot to tell you. These people who killed these kids were Jehovah's Witnesses. Why did they kill them? Because the Jehovah's Witness religion teaches them that anybody who leaves the group is going to die at Armageddon, including the children, and that only those that are in the group are going to survive this Armageddon, which they say is right around the corner. So when Mandy left the group and took her kids with her, far as their religion was concerned, she just doomed those kids to die at Armageddon. So the grandmother and the uncle took it upon themselves to quote-unquote rescue those kids. We call it kidnapping. And they felt the children were better off dying with Jehovah's Witnesses than living with an ex-Jehovah's Witness. There's your missing link. You see, the Jehovah's Witness religion teaches them that if you die, you just go to sleep. Oh, the lies that are told by the Jehovah's Witness leadership. As I mentioned to you guys in video 10, part 1, the Bible simply says that Armageddon is the Hebrew name for a place. The Bible never said Armageddon was a war, a battle, or anything else. It simply said they were gathered together to a place in the Hebrew tongue called Armageddon. It's simply a place. But the Jehovah's Witness leadership has redefined Armageddon and turned it into this global disaster in which they keep their members in constant fear of. So much fear that when Mandy Hayes decided to leave the Jehovah's Witnesses and take her three kids with her, these zealous Jehovah's Witnesses who believed in this Armageddon doomsday scenario took it upon themselves to kidnap her kids and in the name of saving them from an Armageddon that the Bible doesn't even talk about but the Jehovah's leadership talks about they murdered three kids and the news media forgot to tell you the Jehovah's Witnesses were behind that murder-suicide. There's been a high-profile kidnapping that came to light 
Some of you remember J.C. Dugart, right? J.C. Dugart. She was snatched right off the street. Right in front of her house. Hidden. I believe it was 18 years. 18 years. Something very important about the people who kidnapped her. This here is the living conditions that J.C. Dugart lived in. Look at this. Locked away in a building that was soundproof. She could scream all she wants. Nobody on the outside could hear anything. This young girl had her youth taken away from her. Had her innocence taken away from her. So I'm going to play for you the first part of a newscast that aired back in 2011. For those of you who didn't know about the people that kidnapped J.C. Dugard. Take a listen to this. As we resume, seven months have now passed since J.C. Dugard was taken from her mother, her sister, her life. That field trip she worried about, long over. Her fifth grade classmates have now graduated elementary school. Her mother is still pleading with everyone to keep on searching for her. She is coming home. That gives me a lot of hope, a lot of optimism. Somebody's, you know, feeding me dreams for a reason. And by the way, her biological father had left the family, was never in J.C.'s life. There was a stepfather, but J.C. was not close to him. Two hours away, J.C. is now being moved back and forth from the soundproof room to the larger room where she's handcuffed to the bed. Her only company, a spider, she names Bianca. Then one day, Garrido says there's someone he wants her to meet, and he wants them to be friends. She enters the picture. Yes. Nancy. Nancy Garrido is his wife. They had met in a visiting room at Leavenworth Prison. He a prisoner there, she visiting her uncle. She a Jehovah's Witness, he talked to her about the Bible. She was also in the car the day J.C. Dugard was stun-gunned and kidnapped. She was the one who pinned the little girl to the floor with her legs. That's right. The people who kidnapped her were Jehovah's Witnesses. How many of you even knew that? How many of you knew that? Did they care about her living conditions? Obviously not. We're going to be discussing Jehovah's Witnesses and the kidnapping of children. And I'm doing this again. <clears throat> to protect you. Unsheath the sword. So that you'll be protected. Because I'm leaving. I want you to be able to defend yourself now. I'm going to give you what I've learned, the warning signs, the things to look for, their tactics, so that your family will be protected. Because just because you left the Watchtower, just because you're done with the Watchtower, 
doesn't mean they're done with you. Mainly, if you have an elementary school age child. You better be on your guard. From here to your kids reach a good teenage age. Because you never know when they're watching. You never know like a slithering snake when they're going to slither up on you and strike. I hope you'll take this video seriously. I'm not sitting here cracking jokes. <clears throat> There's an organization out there. 1997. The ICSA. Going to put it on the screen for you. They took the time out to interview Jehovah's Witness women. The topic is wifely subjugation, mental health issues in Jehovah's Witness women. It's a very long study, as you'll see. One of the questions that was asked of these women got a very interesting answer. So I want to present it to you. It says, symptom scale. The most common fears reported by women in the survey were fears of death, and or destruction. Now they were asked the question, what do you fear the most about leaving the group? What do you fear the most? What do you think is going to happen to you if you leave the group? These were the answers they got back. The most common fears reported by women in the survey were fears of death and or destruction of the world by God at Armageddon. Fear of abandonment was also cited in several cases. Several women reported fear of being harassed, stalked, or having their children kidnapped by WTS members. Having their children kidnapped by Watchtower Society members. People inside the group know that this kind of thing goes on. I tip my hat to these ladies for being honest enough to admit it. You need to keep an eye on your kids. You really need to keep an eye on your kids if you have elementary school age kids. This is what I've learned. <clears throat> The children that are usually taken are elementary school age or younger. They don't usually bother the teenagers because if the teenagers are indoctrinated enough, if the parents don't go along with them being a Jehovah's Witness, they'll just leave on their own. But the elementary school age kids, it's a whole different story. A teenager, if they're forcefully taken, they can find their way back home. Elementary school age or younger, not the case. So they tend to focus on elementary school aged kids and younger. Secondly, they're usually taken by either their Jehovah's Witness parent that does not have legal custody over them, sometimes taken during custody battles, sometimes after a custody battle if they lose. Just because you win the child custody case does not mean they're going to leave you alone. 
just because you win the child custody case does not mean that down the road they're not going to try to swing around and grab your kid. I want to give you a heads up so that if your kids disappear, you will know what happened. You'll know. I want to give you the warning signs. I want to give you the sword so that you can fight your battle. This one's very important. The children are usually taken directly from their elementary school. So let me start there. If you are divorced from, separated from, going through a child custody case against a Jehovah's Witness, male or female, and you are the legal guardian of those children or that child, you need to notify their school immediately that if anybody comes to that school asking to see your kids, talk to your kids, claiming that you sent them to pick up your kids, they are to get on the phone and talk to you personally to verify. If they didn't hear it from you, it didn't happen. If they don't know that you and that Jehovah's Witness are not together anymore, or you're separated, or you're divorced, if they come to the school, far as they're concerned, they're just handing the child over to their mom. They're just handing the child over to their dad. They don't know this person is not the legal guardian. They don't know what this person is actually planning to do with that child. They need to be told. And if you're watching this right now during school hours and you haven't yet contacted your school, I would pause the video now, call up the school and let them know. Don't wait till it's too late. It takes them just a moment to go up to that school, find your kid, grab your kid, put your kid in the car, and they're gone. You need to make sure there's people watching your kids. If you've left Jehovah's Witnesses, you need to make sure there's people watching your kids. You need to notify the babysitter, the friends at their houses they go to, where your kids go to. Let them know if anybody comes wanting to pick up my son or daughter, the kids claiming I sent them. You get on the phone and you call me and you verify whether I sent them or not. Let me ask you this. You were a Jehovah's Witness. You brought your kids to the Kingdom Hall with you regularly. Now you've left the group. Have you deprogrammed your children yet? What do I mean? When you were a Jehovah's Witness, you trained your child to do certain things. Let me explain. You trained your child to listen to the elder, to obey the elder, to reverence the elder, to fear the elder. Can't doze off when that elder's talking or you're going to get pinched, right? Remember Caleb and Sophia? When that child was not paying attention when that elder was talking, what would happen to the child? They'll be taken to the back room and have the stuffing beat out of them. Or taken to the bathroom. 
and have the stuffing beat out of them. They had put within them a fear and a reverence for the elder. Now that you are no longer a member of that group, that cult, have you sat down and talked to your child and told them the elder no longer has authority over you anymore? Not only do you not have to listen to him anymore, but don't listen to him anymore. And you need to tell them if that elder shows up at your school, on your playground, at your friend's house, while you're going to or from school, on the school bus, in a store, wherever you happen to be. If that elder shows up anywhere, you are to run with all your might in the other direction and you are to scream for your life. Because their life might actually depend on it. Don't forget what the Ford family did. If her mother had told her that if any Jehovah's Witness comes to you telling you to get into their car, you run! Those kids might still be alive today. Her mother didn't think to warn her. Her mother, the kid's mother didn't think to warn them that if any Jehovah's Witness comes and tells you, come get in the car, don't get in their car. Don't do it. You run the other way. You run as fast as you can and you find somebody to protect you. Why is it so urgent? It's real simple, guys. Do you know what will happen to your kids if they get them? Let's say they manage to grab your kid today. Do you know why it's going to be nearly impossible to find your kid? From what I've learned, if they get their hands on an elementary school age child of an ex-Jehovah's Witness, they take that child across the border to another country. They may take that child across a number of borders to other countries just to make sure that you can't have access to them. That child's well-being is not important to them. All that matters to them is they don't want you, the ex-Jehovah's Witness, with the child. Whether that child is good, taken care of, fed, clothed, doesn't matter to them. Doesn't matter to them. They just want to make sure you don't have access to the child. So what I want to do is I want to take the time out to give you guys some cases. So you can see that I'm telling you the truth. And you got to be careful. You got to keep an eye on your kids. From here forward, you got to keep an eye on your kids. You got other people keep an eye on your kids. I don't want you to get your kids taken. I mean, I'm a single guy, no wife, no girlfriend, no kids. I can't relate to somebody having a child taken because I never had one. But I don't want it to happen to you. We're going to start off with the case of the kidnapping of Cindy Flulick. 
Cindy Flulick was a little girl at the time. Her mom and dad, devout Jehovah's Witnesses. But over time, Cindy's mom began to get more and more disillusioned with the Watchtower. More and more. Finally, it reached a point where she said, you know what, I'm done. No more door-to-door for me. No more going to meetings. I'm done. But as you know, you can't just leave the Watchtower. They will punish you if you try to leave. You know that. Such is the case with her. When she decided she wasn't going to go to the meetings anymore, they decided to punish her. So what do they do? The way the pattern usually works is this. You have a husband and wife that join Jehovah's Witnesses. Let's say in this particular case, the wife wakes up and she realizes that it's, it's all junk. She wants to become a Christian. She wants the King James Bible. And she wants a Jesus of the King James Bible, the one that loves, not, not the one that guides you through fear. She wants the real God. She doesn't want the Watchtower. The first thing they'll try to do is they'll try to get her to come back. If they're convinced that she's not going to come back, then the next step is going to be to put her on trial, judicial committee. Now, whether she comes, whether she doesn't come to the committee hearing, they're going to disfellowship her anyway. It appears a lot of these kidnappings, they don't want to do it unless the person is disfellowshipped. Because once the person has been disfellowshipped or kicked out of the group, then all the other members of the group are not going to speak to them anymore. So if their kids disappear, they can go and question all the Jehovah's Witnesses they want. The other Jehovah's Witnesses are not going to talk to them because they're a former member and they don't talk to former members. They're told now you can't talk to them. They're apostates as far as they're concerned. So they want to make sure the person is disfellowshipped. So that's the next step. Now that the person is disfellowshipped, they have another problem. You have a Jehovah's Witness, her husband, who is now married to an ex-Jehovah's Witness. And they don't allow that. So that's where we end up with this. A divorce and child custody case, where they will use a book like this, or the different variations of this book that we talked about in an earlier video, to try to manipulate the court system so that the judge will rule in the Jehovah's Witnesses' favor. They will do all they can to try to make sure that the judge does not allow religion to be talked about in the courtroom so that the judge will never find out what they really teach the children. And this book and the other books that they made like it are used in that fashion in child custody cases. And we talked about it a couple of videos ago to help Jehovah's Witnesses win child custody cases by lying to the judge. Now, let's say you still end up winning the, the case. The ex-Jehovah's parent still ends up winning the case. As I said earlier, don't drop your guard. Because just because you won the case does not mean the Watchtower is going to leave you alone. Mainly if you have elementary school age children. So in the case of Cindy Flulick, when the mother decided she didn't want to be a Jehovah's anymore, the Jehovah and his dad worked together with the elders, and he went in and he grabbed Cindy. This is a map of the Americas. Cindy was kidnapped here, Toronto, Canada. Cindy's mom got the police involved to try to help her find Cindy. She hired a private investigator. There was even a news investigatory program that joined her to try to help her find her daughter. 
eight years later. You heard me correctly. The Jehovah's Witnesses hid Cindy from her mother for eight years. How were they able to hide her so successfully from her mom? Let's put the map back on the screen. Cindy was kidnapped here in Toronto, Canada. Eight years later, they find Cindy here. Over 10,000 kilometers away, over 5,300 miles away on another continent in a place called Santiago in Chile in South America. Now, do you think her mom in a million years would have thought that her daughter would be taken to another continent? She would have never thought her daughter would have been kidnapped, much less kidnapped and taken to another continent. And what was the mother's crime? She hadn't committed any crime. She just left the Jehovah's Witnesses and they decided to punish her by taking her daughter from her. Now, if you want something to make your blood boil, I got it for you. After finding Cindy, they made a couple of discoveries, and one of the discoveries was that the elder at the Kingdom Hall, where her mother used to attend, and the elder's wife, they both knew all along where Cindy was. And they lied to the police, and they lied to the private investigator, and they lied to the mother for eight years, claiming they had no knowledge of where Cindy was. But six years after Cindy was kidnapped, the elder's wife went down to Santiago in Chile to see Cindy. She knew exactly what house she was in. She knew exactly what kingdom hall they were taking her to. She knew it all. And they lied to all the authorities and caused that mother eight long years of anguish and pain and loss. Eight years she could never get back with her daughter. And they showed no remorse for doing it. That's part of what makes us so angry. They do it and feel no pain. They put you in pain and they feel no pain. It's one thing for me to sit here and tell you the story. It's another thing for you to see it for yourself. Remember I told you a news investigatory program tried to help her find her daughter. I searched all over the internet trying to find this video. I knew it existed because I had the transcript. I also had excerpts of the audio, but I wanted the video. It's much more powerful if you see the video than if you just hear an audio. But I couldn't find it anywhere. Nowhere. So I want to take a moment to thank Dan Johnson of Expert Custody Consultants for finding this video. And his friend who asked to remain anonymous, the one that had the video, for entrusting me with the video so that I could get the video to you. They put a lot of work into finding the video, converting the video into a format that can be used on the computer and getting it to me. And it was given to me
and I was told just keep the person's name anonymous who gave the video and I'm going to respect that so thank you guys ladies and gentlemen I present to you a video that probably this is the only place you'll find it and I'm hoping you'll take it and spread it all over the place so that people will know that this kind of thing goes on within the Jehovah's group ladies and gentlemen I present to you the kidnapping of Cindy Flulick tonight you're going to see how that community sanctioned the kidnapping of a little girl Cindy Florick was caught in the middle of a family breakup one that got her mother kicked out of the Jehovah's Witnesses but Cindy's father in a misguided effort to save his daughter's soul abducted her there were many witnesses to what happened but they became silent witnesses when Cindy's mother went pleading for help She was one of Child Find's first poster girls, little Cindy Florick, missing at age five. Her mother, Anna, was frantic. I, I tried a bit. I tried anything. And nobody could help me. I didn't know anybody. I didn't have any friends. Cindy was taken by her father, Joseph, now a resident of Santiago, Chile. Over eight years and two continents, he used, neglected, and finally abandoned the girl. But there was one person who took pity on Cindy. She was a very sad girl, lonely, hungry for love. There was someone else less sympathetic. This church elder knew where Cindy was, but he didn't tell police or Cindy's mother. It was a private matter between him and his church, the Jehovah's Witnesses. Church spokesman, Walter Graham. Did your organization at the national level attempt to assist in finding Cindy Florick? No, we didn't get involved. Why not? Well, first of all, we didn't know where to go. And secondly, uh, Mrs. Florick was no longer one of Jehovah's Witnesses. Ana Gonzalez was raised in Mexico in a devout Jehovah's Witness family. She was just 17 when she met Joseph Florek at a witness convention in Mexico. They married and moved to Toronto. The church was the center of their life. Three meetings a week, plus door-to-door -door preaching. Even the odd night out was in the company of Jehovah's Witnesses. But after her daughter Cindy was born, Anna began to rebel at the restrictions of life as one of Jehovah's Witnesses. I was curious about the outside world. He wanted me to spend more time preaching and go from door to door and um, going to the church and spending more time in the, um, the church. That's why it was the main point. Three years after Cindy was born, Joseph and Anna separated for the first time. Joseph took Cindy and fled to Saskatchewan. Their church stepped in and brought them back together quietly. When we were separated the first time, um, I wanted to call the police. And they told me, no, it's not necessary for you to call the police. Who told you that? The elders. And why do you think they would tell you that? Because they didn't want nothing to do with the law. 
The elders convinced Joseph to come back home with Cindy, but the marriage didn't last. Within a year, the couple separated again, and this time it was for good. Anna began to live the life she felt she'd missed out on. She got a job, and she also got a boyfriend. Shortly after Anna took steps towards a legal separation, Joseph Florek came looking for his daughter. Five-year-old Cindy hid under the bed. I didn't want to go with him. Did you, were you afraid of something? Did you think he might be taking you away again? Well, I thought something, I, I knew something bad was going to happen, but I didn't know why. What? When Joel took Cindy the second time in 1982, Anna's relationship with the Jehovah Witnesses was on the rocks. She wanted nothing to do with them. Six months after that abduction, elders from her congregation sent her an official request to attend the meeting to answer the charges of sexual misconduct. Anna didn't show up, so Joel Florek's accusations against her stood, and the church disfellowshipped her for adultery. The community that had been her entire life now shunned her. Her own mother was forbidden to speak to her. They don't care about a disfellowship person because they think we're bad evil. That's what they think. I'm disfellowship, that's it. Dr. Jim Penton is a leading scholar of the witness movement in Canada. Disfellowshipped in 1981, Penton knows all about shunning. I know literally dozens of children who will not speak to their parents. I know brothers and sisters who will not speak to one another because one has left Jehovah's Witnesses and the attitude is that these persons are bound for destruction unless they repent. Is it possible that members of the community could be unmoved by the torment of a mother? If the child goes to the mother and is raised as a non-Jehovah's Witness, then the child dies eternally too. And they'll say, well, it's better that the mother, who is after all an apostate, should suffer. Joseph and Cindy lived in this Toronto house for two years. It was just a half-hour drive from Anna's place. But old friends in the church wouldn't help her. She was an outsider now, alone. Anna met Peter George six months after the abduction. They were married in 1987. He became her moral support. Peter also financed the search that would dominate the next three years of their marriage. I never gave up. Never. It killed me for a long time. I suffered inside for a long time. I think that's something that still angers us now, is that we lost so many years or wasted so many years in anger and in highs and lows because of a religion that, uh, you know, was obviously doing a great deal of wrong. In 1984, Joseph Florek, still a witness in good standing, had taken Cindy to Orlando, Florida. They rented rooms in this house from a Jehovah's Witness named Tony Trujillo. I would like to see again. You'd like to see Oh, him? I love it. The man and the girl very good. Cindy and other witness children attended this school, a private school. Its records weren't registered with the state. Joseph became a member of this congregation soon after they arrived in Florida. This elder told us he employed Joseph as a carpenter and paid him in cash. There were no employment or income tax records. Joseph always covered his tracks, but this had serious consequences for Cindy. When she was eight, she pulled a pot of boiling water off the stove and was badly burned. Her father kept her away from the hospital 
for three long days and nights. Did she cry a lot when she had the burns? No, 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 no. You don't that we could see her? The only thing I... I it would be normal to assume that it hurt. Were you crying a lot? Yeah, I was screaming. Scared? It hurt a lot. Do you often wonder why it was your father didn't take you to the hospital immediately? Mm-hmm. I wonder, but I don't know why. The reason seems clear enough. By this time, 1985, Joseph was wanted in Canada and the United States for child abduction. Maximum sentence, 10 years. Bank accounts, phone numbers, and hospital records can be traced. As long as he stayed underground, the police and Cindy's mother would have a hard time finding him. It was much easier for his church to get information about Joseph Florek. Congregations always request a new member's service record from the last congregation he attended. That record includes any moral violations. The dirt on Joseph Florek's church record seems to have warranted some discipline. But elders stopped short of informing police or insisting that Joseph Florek return Cindy to her mother. Mr. Sosa, no comments. I told you. Would I be able to ask you? No, no, no comments. Mr. Florek, no comments. Sorry. I asked the elders if they would talk about Joseph Florek, and they said they wouldn't do so on camera. But they did admit that they knew him and that he worshipped here. And interestingly enough, they also admitted that they had checked out his past. And based on what they had found out, they limited his privileges to preaching door to door and attending services here. But what they wouldn't allow him to do was preach to the congregation, hold the position of elder, or attend national or international conventions. The elders, the leaders of the organization, they all have control of situations like this. And I know for a fact, they all have control of a lot of people in there. They all know about you. The organization is completely hierarchical and the average witness won't do anything unless he receives instruction from an elder or a circuit overseer or someone at the branch office or watchtower headquarters. The chances are 99% that some of the elders, some of the uh, senior leaders of the witness movement in Toronto knew the circumstances. The Watchtower Society near Toronto is highly computerized. It's part of an international organization with two million magazine subscriptions worldwide and all addresses are kept on file. When Anna George came to this organization pleading with individuals to help her locate Cindy, did any of those individuals have any idea where Joseph Florek was? As far as I know, they had no idea. It's obviously uh, a very well thought out plan by Mr. Florek a plan in which he was assisted by many Jehovah Witnesses. Uh, but none of them knew the whole story. Certainly, if we had knowledge of the whereabouts of Cindy, Cindy we would have uh, uh, certainly uh, acted. But we didn't. Theologian Jim Penton says witnesses are taught not to lie, but they can be evasive. The fact of the matter is that the Watchtower Society has said, well, anyone who is an enemy is not entitled to information, not entitled to the tr uh, truth. Lying to the enemy. Who is the enemy? The enemy is anyone who uh, works contrary to the teachings of Jehovah's Witnesses. The secular state, a disfellowshipped person, 
Anyone such as this is the enemy, and therefore one can use theocratic war strategy, and they do. Could you tell us a little about theocratic war strategy? Theocratic war strategy? <laughs> what is theocratic war strategy? That's a good question. <laughs> theocratic war strategy. And, uh, Have you ever heard the term? I've heard the term, but it's a very old one. Do you employ it? Do the Jehovah Witnesses employ theocratic war strategy? I don't think I have, no. Maybe not yourself, but do Jehovah Witnesses employ theocratic war strategy? I don't, again, I, I can't comment. I don't know of any circumstances where we have. And I insist that officials with a Watchtower Society knew more than they shared with her, police, or child find. You know, you know that I'm always my daughter. And you know while you've been talking to Joseph, but you just don't tell me. You just said, I don't know anything. All the while, Cindy had no idea she was the object of an international search and in her mother's constant thoughts. Do you ever miss her while you were away? Yeah, I missed her a lot of times. I always went to bed and, and thought about her. And thought if she, I was thinking of, if she was thinking of me. Early last year, Anna and Peter hired private investigator Tony Turco. Turco says he approached between three and four hundred people for information, almost all Jehovah's Witnesses. Most parental abductions, uh, people would assist and go the full nine yards in assisting to locate the child. Um, with the Jehovah's Witnesses that I talked to, uh, they had no real compassion for the mother. Um, I guess in mind that uh, Anna was not a practicing Jehovah's Witnesses any longer. By the time Turco got his first big break, Joseph and Cindy Florick didn't live here anymore. They had moved to the other side of the world, Santiago, Chile. Once again, they were among friends, silent witnesses to Joseph Florek's crime. Joseph and Cindy's journey ended here in Santiago, 10,000 kilometers away from Anna. With all that distance between them and no extradition possible, Joseph's fear of being caught relaxed. He opened two fast food restaurants with money from his mother. He got a listing in the phone book and applied under his own name for a permanent visa. Cindy went to this private school for the children of Jehovah's Witnesses. We found the school's owner, and she was kind enough to show us Cindy's classroom. Miss Maji remembers Cindy as a quiet girl, unhappy because of her home life. She recalled that Joseph's mother suffered from Alzheimer's disease. Her behavior was bizarre, often violent. She told us that Joseph worked at his restaurants from early morning to late at night and said it was nine-year-old Cindy's job to cook and clean for all three of them. The Florics lived in this apartment block across the street from the school, but Cindy hardly ever got out to play. I used to be locked in my room because of my grandmother. Because um, she didn't know I was living in that house. She thought I was, I was not there, but I was there. I always had to be silent. I couldn't even go out for, to the bathroom. He left me a little box. <laughs> it was... And you did your toilet in a box? Yes. The little girl who wandered this schoolyard was finally noticed by someone else. 
Anna Tobolkova's children attended Cindy's school. A devout Jehovah's Witness, Anna saw a child clearly in need of help. I became her friend during recess. I got to know her loneliness, and I talked about it with my husband, and we invited her during the weekends, and we became very fond of her. Joseph Florek was content to have his daughter stay with Anna and her family. It got rid of a constant sore spot with his mother, and he could devote more time to his restaurants. He also promised Anna he'd help with Cindy's keep. In truth, on many occasions he said his business wasn't going well, so the person who kept and educated the child was my husband. What did Anna do for you emotionally? She took very good care of me and gave me a lot of love that I needed at that time. Before she met you, what were you feeling? Sadness. A lot of sadness. Why was that? Because I was lonely. Because my father almost left me abandoned. And um, I had to do everything for myself. What was life like at Anna's house? It was like being with my own family. And being one of the family meant Cindy got daily religious training. When she turned 13, she was to be formally baptized as one of Jehovah's Witnesses, along with her foster brother and sisters. But there were other things she had to learn first. It was very difficult for me, and I think for the kids too, because she didn't have any rules of hygiene, so it was almost like teaching a baby. Did she start to adjust quickly? Yes, and I became very fond of her. I get the impression that it became a very caring and loving family, that it became very close for Cindy here. In truth, it was a family of five children. All Anna knew about Cindy's mother was what Cindy had told her. She was a bad woman and she had left the church. That was Anna's understanding until she was visited by three people from Toronto. The visitors were members of this man's family, Pedro Robb, an elder of a Toronto congregation and past friend of the Floric family. His wife Myrta and their two daughters visited Cindy at Anna's house in the spring of 1989. She told me that she knew her beforehand from Canada, that she was a good woman, that she missed her daughter quite a bit and that she needed her that she was very sad that the girl was here and not with her mother. What did you think when Mrs. Robb told you that about Cindy's mother? I was very saddened, and this was the reason why I wrote to Canada, telling them that Cindy was with me and how we had met. I really don't know what happened with that letter. That letter was sent to Pedro Robb. He chose not to mention it to Cindy's mother, or discuss his reasons with the Fifth Estate. At the same time that Anatobo Kova was writing to Pedro Rob, the private investigators were already closing in. Their big break? A secret bank account in the Cayman Islands with a Santiago address on it. With the help of Interpol, Cindy was located. Eight years after Joseph Florek had kidnapped his five-year-old daughter, 
Anna flew to Chile and brought Cindy home. <laughs> Anna and Cindy have eight years to catch up on. They live outside Toronto where Anna works as a hairdresser. Cindy's new father, Peter George, is a chef. Her new sisters are called Casey and Amy. I'm happy, but I'm sad because I have to leave my foster mother. And I'm happy because I have my real mother beside me. So it's like I have to split my love in two. Are you angry at Joseph Florick? I was mad at him. I felt very mad at him. Now I feel pity for him. What would you say to him if you had him in front of you right now? Poor guy. You're such a coward. I feel pity for you. What would you say to him? Why? Why did he do that? Why didn't he do it the, the good way? Why did, he why did he have to take the rough way? I asked Joe Florek the same question, but he refused to come across the street and talk on camera. And the man who knew of Cindy Florek's whereabouts years before she was located also refused to speak to us. Could you, could you tell me whether or not you know Joseph Florek? Were you aware that Joseph Florek kidnapped his daughter and took her to Santiago? Could you answer why your wife went to Santiago and spoke to Cindy? What would your reaction be if you found out that an elder of a congregation in Toronto knew the whereabouts of Mr. Florek? probably all along. Yeah, I'd be surprised to hear that, yes. Would this be serious? I would say so, yes. You have an elder in a congregation in Toronto, Pedro Robb. Do you know? Uh, no, I don't know him at all. Mr. Robb's wife visited Cindy at a foster home in Santiago. What's your reaction to that? Well, that's, what, seven years after the abduction? Yes. Uh, then uh, when did they know about the abduction? Uh, when did they know uh, of the location? I, I really can't comment. Has head office ever been contacted, ever been faxed, memoed, lettered regarding the location of Cindy Flork? Over the last, uh, what is it, uh, eight years, uh, there has been no correspondence on Cindy Flork. So national headquarters has no correspondence from Chile, from Santiago, copied to you from the congregations, anything like that? that Not that I know of. Your files wouldn't indicate anything? Not the files I have, no. Could we see the files? Well, we, uh, this is the extent of my files, which are, are very sparse indeed. And that was 86, that's from, uh, where's that from? This is from Santiago. Santiago. In 1986? That's right. What does that say? It's in Spanish. Is there a translation? This is from Pedro Robb. That was from Pedro, yeah. Saying that he did not inform us where he was moving. So Pedro Robb received communications in 1986 from Santiago, according to this document. Yes, and that's his reply. From what I gather, in 19, here, in 1986, the congregation in Santiago, Chile, wrote for information regarding Joseph Florek. Yes, to, to Mr. Robb. And Mr. Robb's require saying that uh, he informed them then in 1986 
of the situation that the, he left the country violating the court ruling of his wife's custody of his daughter. Why is he not informing the congregation in Chile that Mr. Flork is wanted for kidnap and that any information would greatly assist in returning Cindy to her mother? You'd have to ask him. He must have contacted national headquarters. No, there was no copy to national headquarters. Well, then why do you have a copy? Well, I'm sure we have... Doesn't that surprise you? You're holding that file, and it says in 1986 she was in Santiago. Yes, uh, I have it here in my file now, but uh, from my understanding, we didn't have access to that uh, bit of information until just very recently. What is your organization going to do? Is it going to call in Pedro Rob? Has it called in Pedro Rob and said, explain this? Uh, there has to be some sort of investigation. Certainly, this whole matter is disturbing to any caring person, whether they be a Jehovah's Witness or otherwise. We're concerned and we're very happy that the mother has Cindy back. Even though Anna George is disfellowed? Yes. Disfellowship doesn't really come into the picture. This is a mother-child arrangement. But mother and daughter are still separated by Cindy's eight years of religious immersion. Cindy, how do you feel right now about being sort of away from the church? It's, it's different. Is it difficult on you? Yeah. Do you feel one day you may go back to the church? I may. The Jehovah's have had Cindy for 13 years of her life. And if she's prepared to give us the next five, when she's 18 years old, she's a full-grown adult. She can make whatever decision she she feels is uh, mm -hmm. is right for her. Anna Tobolkova has found it hard to get used to life without Cindy. She finds comfort in her church, but she wonders why Cindy hasn't written. I received only one letter from her a month after she left. I've written to her every week, and I get no response. What would you like to say to her? That we love her. And that we're very happy that she's with her mother. Anna George read those letters. They were full of religion, so she never passed them on to Cindy. I'm afraid of that. I'm really afraid of that. That I want, I don't want anybody to bother her right now. Why are you afraid of that? We're going to be in the same shoes my mother and I are right now. We don't have any communication. She cannot come and sit with me and talk to me and eat with me, socialize with me. They can't. Does it worry you that if you do return, you might have to shun your mother? That's what bothers me. Can you shun your mother? I don't know. It's going to be a tough decision. The day before we left Santiago, Anna told us she was dying. She has a brain tumor and it's inoperable. She asked us to speak to Cindy's parents and convey her wish to see Cindy one last time. Do you know that Anna is ill?
Cindy's foster mother says she wants to come and visit Cindy. How do you feel about that? I don't really like the idea, but if that's what Cindy wants, then she's welcome to come, except she cannot talk about religion to my daughter. She cannot push her religion to my Cindy. The meeting took place two weeks ago at a Toronto hotel. This was a time for reunion, and there was no talk of religion. I can't tell you how much this means to me, she said. So stop and think about what you just saw. Young girl taken against her will, locked away in a room, just like J.C. Dugert was locked away in a room. Taken away from her family. Indoctrinated. It's frustrating. Elders who claim they're doing all this for Jehovah. But when the hot steaming cameras and lights come at them, what do they do? Like roaches. They're trying to find the nearest crack in the corner to hide in the wall. Let me ask you something, Elder. If what you're doing is good, if what you're doing is righteous, if what you're doing is godly, why are you running? Why are you running? Why are you hiding? Why don't you be a man and grow a pair if you really believe what you're teaching and tell the cameras, that's right, we kidnapped these kids and we did it for Jehovah. You're a bunch of phonies. And I'm laying you bare, son. I am laying you bare. This nonsense is going to have to end. And it won't end unless the people know what's going on. And the evil works of darkness is having light shined on it. The sword is unsheathed, son. It's time to get yourself right. Get yourself right with Jesus. This is the last part of the series. I'm leaving after this. I've done my work here. I'm handing you guys a sword. Those of you who are ex-Jehovah Witnesses. Those of you who are Jehovah Witnesses on the way out. I'm giving you the sword. I'm giving you the information. You can't say you didn't know anymore. I hope you'll use it. Case number two, Laurie McGregor. Laurie McGregor. She came out with a book recently called uh, Absolutely Impossible. 
she was giving a speech recently. And in her speech, she made a very important statement. I'm going to play it for you. Laura McGregor was a Jehovah's Witness for 15 years. And if you are part of the ex-Jehovah's Witness community and you don't know who Laura McGregor is, I recommend you check her out. She was one of the first to step up. She was one of the first to actually step up, leave the watchtower, and go public. She left the watchtower and went public. She began exposing things that were going on inside the group. She's one of the first to do it. Trailblazing. I tip my hat to her. She dedicated her life to trying to reach people who were involved in cults and get them out. And I salute her. Laurie's a thinker. And when she was a Jehovah's Witness, she would see things that she didn't forget. When she would go to Jehovah's Witness assemblies and conventions, she would see things. And what I want to do is I want to play for you a little bit of a video that she did a couple of years ago. And when she's talking about her book and talking about her life. And I want you to listen very closely to the exact words that she used when she talked about what she would see at Jehovah's Witness conventions and Jehovah's Witness assemblies. I want you to listen very close to what she says. Now, when I was a Jehovah's Witness, I remember at times at conferences and conventions seeing a couple of kids with a couple that I knew they didn't have those kids. And I inquired, well, where did those kids come from? Well, guess what? They were kidnapped kids from across the border, taken away from a custodial non-JW parent, and they were being secretly raised in the organization so that they would survive Armageddon. I didn't know that I was going to be one of those victims, but the organization now went for my children. Stan had repented as their fault state for Armageddon grew closer and then formed an evil alliance to take away my children. The details are here in my book, but they recruited JW members to bear false witness against me under their justified lying doctrine. And there was even an attempted kidnapping. So you heard her say it with her own mouth. What she would see at these conventions were people who had children that she knew didn't have children. And when she asked who they were, she was told straight up, these kids were kidnapped from where? Across the border. Remember, the elementary school age kids, they'll always take them across the border. This here is a audio from a few years ago, many years ago actually, in which she's talking about the exact same thing. And I want you to take a close listen to what she has to say because she has experience as well in this area. Take a listen to this. So they feel that unless they leave the home situation, they'll have no hope for a future life. Jehovah God will destroy them all without a second thought. They're living under tremendous fear because they feel that Armageddon could come very soon. Uh, we've heard of numerous cases where the non-JW mate arrives home to find what? An empty house, mate, children, furniture, even pets missing. 
the bank account might be empty as well. And your children may be hidden with a Jehovah's Witness family in another location if they feel that they can come after you. I can remember being at assemblies and meeting up with people, and they had a couple extra kids, and I said, well, who are these? Well, they were kids from a custody case, and they had them in hiding. They, had, they said, better they be raised by Jehovah's Witness strangers than that mate that won't become a Jehovah's Witness. They'll do it. Don't think for one minute they won't do it. They threatened me with that for my own children. They said, we're 50 miles from the U.S. border. And once we get across the border with those children, you'll never see them again. Don't think that it won't happen. It does. This is her book, Absolutely Impossible, by Laura McGregor. I recommend you check her out. It's her own story and her own words. So she knew that Jehovah's Witnesses would kidnap children. And when she decided that she was going to leave the group, as you heard them say, they told her, we're only 50 miles from the border. We can grab your kids and take them across the border, across the border, across the border. If you're an ex-Jehovah's Witness and your children have disappeared, they're across the border. We'll see what we can do to try to help you find them. Chapter 7, page 27. I hope Laurie doesn't mind me just reading the small portion. It says, Poison Propaganda. There was one kidnapping attempt at this time. I had spoken to the school principal and the teachers at my boy's school. See, she informed the school to be on the lookout. Just like I told you. I knew that children were often kidnapped by non-custodial JW parents and spirited away, usually across the border. This is prior to passports, etc. that protect children now. These days, to get around passports, oftentimes they'll just drive the kid across the border. Or they'll get the Jehovah's Witness parent to get a passport for the kid and off they go. It says here uh, they would be placed with a strong JW family who undertook their upbringing in the organization. See, they will put them with a Jehovah's family that will indoctrinate them day and night in a foreign country. All the JWs were comfortable with lying to the authorities as Armageddon was near. It's always the Armageddon Doomsday button. Gotta press that Armageddon Doomsday button, brother. Gotta press that Armageddon Doomsday button. Sorry. The button doesn't work. Armageddon is a place. It's not an event. I'm not going to read her whole story because this is Laurie's copywritten material and I respect her. But what she said was the elders appeared on the children's playground. The elders showed up at the kids' playground. at recess and tried to grab her kids and put them in a car. But the principal was watching. He had the sword unsheathed. He was ready. 
When he saw these elders trying to grab her kids, he went out there and made sure that her kids didn't get taken. Absolutely impossible, the name of her book, guys. Trailblazer for ex Witnesses. Laurie McGregor. When Laurie left the Watchtower, her and her new husband, Keith, started a ministry called McGregor Ministries, and they were in business for a long time, ministry for a long time, helping people get out of the cults. Laurie's going to mention a few cases because the guys are dealt with differently than the ladies are. With the ladies, they'll just swoop in and snatch your kids from school. That's usually how they do it. With the men, if a man decides to leave the Watchtower and the wife decides to stay, the elders love that. They just love that because that means that this woman's going to be single soon and she's going to be vulnerable. I don't need to say much more than that. So what they'll usually do with the man is they'll wait until he goes to work. And then they'll have the wife call the elder and let the elder know the coast is clear. And the elder will come to the house and grab the wife and the kids and their belongings. Or depending on how much they really want to get back at the guy for leaving, they might even bring a U-Haul truck or some kind of a moving truck and a bunch of Jehovah's Witnesses with them. So that when that man comes home after a hard day of work, he literally walks into an empty house. Wife's gone. Kids gone. Furniture's gone. Bank account's empty. You see, because once you've left the group, they don't care about you anymore. You mean nothing to them once you've left the group. So emptying your bank account, they don't care how you're going to pay your bills. They don't care where you're going to get your next meal from. They don't care if you were saving that money in the bank for some important operation you needed. They don't care about you once you leave the group. Far as they're concerned, you're nothing more than a dirty, rotten, stinking, mentally diseased apostate. They don't care about you. It's conditional love. They'll love you as long as you go along with the program. Once you don't go along with the program, they'll just cut you right off. Makes you wonder if you ever meant anything to them in the first place. So the men are dealt with differently. Laurie's going to mention a couple of stories, just briefly. I don't want to take too much of your time. But Laurie's going to mention a couple of stories about men that she ran into who were ex-Jehovah Witnesses and how the Jehovah Witnesses dealt with them when they left the group. Take a listen to this. A fellow that we knew in our own hometown came off his shift at night at the mill. He opened the door to his house, and his house was absolutely empty. I mean, empty to the walls. He couldn't believe it. He went in, he looked everywhere, nothing, nothing. He said, they could have at least left me a pillow and a blanket to sleep with. He went out to the backyard, and in the doghouse, they'd left the dog's blanket. So he had to sleep wrapped up in the dog's blanket on the bare living room floor that night. It can happen. Well, you know, it can have another ending, too besides a dog blanket and an empty house. Because we had one case that we got involved in. And I want to tell you the story of Carlos. And may it be an encouragement to all of you. Carlos was a kind of a 
excitable, hot-blooded Latin America type, and they had immigrated to Canada. He was busy at his job. He was a well-paid professional. And his wife got involved in just the way I described. He forbid her to do this and that and everything, and finally he came home from work one night, and there was the house. She'd left him a few dishes and some place to sleep and a few sticks of furniture. But she was gone, and the kids were gone. Uh, much of his money was gone. The accounts had been wiped out. His passport and the children's passport, or the children's passports, were gone. Uh, he contacted the kids' Catholic school where they went to school, and he was told that they had been removed, and the school had been advised that they wouldn't be back. He was alone, strange country, no wife, no children. Somehow he heard about us and he called us and he was a very broken man. In this next case, we have the Chronicle Herald in Canada. From the Sunday Herald, February 13th, year 2000. A Sunday Extra. says here, witnesses cost me my family, Waverly Mann says. Reported by Susan LeBlanc, staff reporter. Arnold Fox kept it bottled up for 25 years. It basically comes out to this. You have a man here who decided he didn't want to be a Jehovah's anymore. His name was Arnold Fox. His wife, on the other hand, she was sold out. Sold out, man. Totally sold out. She was Jehovahness. She determined she's going to stay a Jehovahness. He didn't want to be one. The Jehovahness religion is not religiously tolerant. They do not permit you not wanting to be a member. They got to punish you if you don't want to be a member. And that's what they did to him. It says here in 1975, the couple was living in Bella Vista Drive in Dartmouth and had three children, Terry, 17, Daniel, about eight, and Colleen, six. I'd had enough of the religion. And that's putting it in very short form. That is the last thing I had said. And the last thing I had said was the children shall no longer attend the kingdom hall. So he told the wife, I don't want the kids going to the kingdom hall anymore. He said he knew this made him vulnerable with the witnesses. Because as a father and an obvious doubter, he would try to override the group's ban on blood transfusions if his children were under medical care. Fox was summoned to a nearby kingdom hall to appear before a judicial committee. He went knowing that he would be disfellowshipped. They used smoking as a grounds to disfellowship him. Two months later, his family began to disappear. August 24th, 1975, Fox returned home with Daniel, that's his youngest son, and discovered his wife had fled with Colin. Elders came and took him. On September 15th, Daniel, the youngest son, was picked up at 
school. A ticket was put around his neck and he was put on board a flight to Toronto to meet his mother. No. They put your son on an airplane and more than likely they shipped him out of the country, not to his mother. He's an elementary school age child. The elementary school age children are shipped out of the country and shipped to a place where a Jehovah's Witness family will raise them in another country so that you don't have access to them. It goes on to say that uh, the daughter contacted him many years later many many years later to let him know that he's a granddad now and that his wife had committed suicide it says here Fox stated in documents he did not know the children's whereabouts, did not request custody. I mean, how can you request custody? You don't even know where they are. It says last Valentine's Day, his daughter Colleen telephoned out of the blue, and they had an awkward 15-minute conversation. He learned his ex-wife had committed suicide about three years earlier. All that work to take his family away from him by the Jehovah's Witnesses. Only for his wife to kill herself. The last sentence of this article is most depressing. He has no idea what became of Daniel, his youngest son. Your youngest son is in another country, sir. He is not sent to his mother. They always take the children to another country. That's where your son is. I don't know what country. The Watchtower Society is a multi-billion dollar global criminal enterprise. Remember in the case of Cindy Flerlich? She was being indoctrinated in a Jehovah's Witness school in Florida before they took her down to South America. And Florida had no idea the Watchtower even had that school. They didn't have any idea that building was there. The records were not registered with the state. Last case. August 11, 2016, website called Exo Jane. It happened to me, it says. My mother kidnapped me when I was three, and I didn't see my father again until I was 18. Mother called her Jehovah's Witness 
brothers to come get us as soon as dad was out of sight. Excel Jane, it happened to me. To let you see that it's still going on to this day, they never stopped. They never stopped. Got a friend of mine in Indiana who I care about very dearly. Told me that her ex-husband threatened to take their son across the border. It's still going on. It's still going on. Now, let me give you guys some heads up as we prepare to shut down this video and the entire series and everything. I'm a nickel and dimer, guys. Everything you've heard me deal with in this video series, I've learned as an outsider. Never once been a Jehovah's Witness, never once set foot in the Kingdom Hall. Never once did a single study with a Jehovah's Witness. If I can learn all this as an outsider, imagine what you can learn to go beyond what I've been able to show you. I'm ending the series because I feel I've done enough. And I can't go as far as needs to be gone because to go further is going to require law enforcement. And I'm not law enforcement. There are kids out there who were taken from their parents. There are parents out there whose kids have disappeared and they have no clue whatever happened to them. There are organizations out there whose bottom line is trying to find missing exploited children. I have a suggestion for you if you're watching this video. Create a separate file. A separate file of children who just happen to be the children of ex-Jehovah's Witnesses and see how many is in that file. It's worth finding out. If they're taking the kids and they're transporting them across borders in defiance of the law, if they're locking them up in rooms, As you saw in the case of J.C. Dugart locked up in a shed, Cindy Flerlich locked up in a room. How long was she locked up in that room? I mean, stop and think about it, guys. She was locked up in that room long enough that by the time that other lady found her, she said she didn't have any hygiene. All she knew was doing her business in a box like a cat. How long did they keep her in that room? People ask me, Jason, you've never been a Jehovah's Witness. Why do you care what they think? Why do you care what they do? Guys, King David in the Bible, just a little shepherd boy. He's a little nickel and dimer at the time. He goes out on the battlefield to bring some food to his brothers. 
And the whole army of Israel is sitting here, and they're scared. Why? Because Goliath was down in the valley. And they're scared of Goliath. They were scared of Goliath. This massive army of people scared of Goliath? Yeah, he was an alien. He was an off-worlder. He was strong. He was powerful. He was smart. He was big. But you see, David said, is there not a cause? Who is this uncircumcised Philistine defying the God of Israel? I'll take his head off this day. Where are the people who are willing to look at the watchtower and say, who are these uncircumcised You insert the word who dare to defy the God of heaven by rewriting the Bible and putting themselves in it. Who are these people who dare to tell people that Armageddon is this event that's going to take place, putting these people in fear to the point that they're willing to break laws and destroy people's lives in the name of Armageddon while the people at the top get the skirt and walk away scot-free. Do you think if that lady who was raising Cindy Flerlick in South America, do you think if the police had found out that she had that kidnapped girl at that house, if they kicked her front door in and arrested that lady, do you think the governing body was going to come to her aid? No. You think the elders would come to her aid? No. They would have hung her out the dry. You know it. Who are these guys who call themselves a governing body? Who are you guys destroying people's lives like this? Who are you guys? There's not going to be a need for a real sword to deal with this. The sword of the spirit is the word of God. The real one. Here's the sword you need to get this job done. This is the sword that's going to penetrate everything. Right there, King James Bible. I want people to be set free. If you're happy being a Jehovah Witness, that's on you. I tried to warn you. I tried. But if you're learning stuff here that you didn't learn before, don't go pat me on the back. No. I'm trying to lead you to Jesus Christ. Forget about me. I'm trying to lead you to this King James Bible and the God of this King James Bible. Not the so-called New King James, which is a fake Bible version. I'm talking about the good old-fashioned, authorized King James Bible. I'm trying to lead you to the God of this book. This is the one that's not going to put you in fear. This is the one that cared enough about you that he came down to this earth as Jesus Christ and gave his life for you.
how do we find these kids? I don't want to leave you without hope. There's a couple of things that I've been learning in my research into this. Number one, the elder's wife was able to find Cindy without any problem. Six years after she had been kidnapped, she knew exactly where she was, knew exactly what kingdom hall she was going to. That lets me believe that there must be a database. There's got to be a database. We know there's a pedophile database. There has to be a child abduction database. Now, I keep hearing through the grapevine that there are elders and there's overseers and others who are waking up and considering leaving the watchtower. Good. Good for you. It's about time. Now, do us a favor, okay? Do the ex-Jehovah's Witness community a favor. In the 70s and 80s, and 90s. We had Laurie McGregor, we had Bill and Joan Setnar, and we had Dr. Walter Martin, and we had Ray Franz. These were people who unsheathed the sword, unsheathed the sword, and brought the information to the people. Told the people, this is what's going on inside this group. And tried to warn them. Why am I not a Jehovah's Witness? I listened to Dr. Walter Martin. I listened to Larry McGregor. I listened to Bill and Joan Setnar. I listened to the King James Bible. That's why I never joined the cults. This generation needs its Dr. Walter Martin. This generation needs its Bill and Joan Setnar. This generation needs its Laurie McGregor. Now, if you're going to come out Grow a pair. Get the database if you have access to it. I'm not saying steal nothing. Make the database available to the authorities. What you got to lose? What if it was your child that was missing? Would you care then? Make the database available. If there's somebody at the new, fresh, clean, plump, juicy warehouse, they, the new establishment that they just built in New York, are you sitting behind a computer and you have access to the database? Why not give it to the authorities so that they can know that there's murderers hiding out in the kingdom halls? Rapists hiding out in the kingdom halls, pedophiles hiding out in the kingdom halls, child abductors hiding out in the kingdom halls, knocking on people's doors and entering into people's homes. So that they can know 
where these missing children are. I can't do it. I'm an outsider. But you may have access to the database. If it's a godly thing, why are they hiding it? If it's a Christian thing, why are they hiding it? Shine the light in the dark. So there has to be a database. Secondly, there are some of you elders out there that you know that in your kingdom hall there are people who have children that are not theirs. I'm going to say it again. What if your child disappeared? Are you only going to care when it comes around to your child disappearing? But it doesn't matter if that apostate's child disappears? Is that your attitude? Because I'm going to tell you what, God's not fooled. You might be able to fool your congregation. You're not fooling God. He knows what's in your heart. And he knows that you're just as phony as anything. And if you think you're going to get in the kingdom when you're doing this stuff to the kids, keep dreaming. We're all going to die one of these days, guys. We're all going to die one of these days. And if you think as an elder that you're going to commit these crimes and cover up for these criminals... And God's going to pat you on the back and go, boy, great job. You aided in the bed of these criminals. You harbored these sinners. You didn't even tell them they were sinning. You just hid it from everybody. You lied to the police. You did all this lying and lying and lying and lying. Welcome to the kingdom, you liar. You deceiver. No. you're going to look at God and say but didn't I not do this in your name I did this in your name and my King James Bible says the Lord's going to look at you and say depart from me I never knew you I never knew you you didn't do this in my name. You did it in the name of some Jehovah. You did not do it in my name. Depart from me. And go to the place where there is weeping and gnashing of teeth, where the worm dieth not and the fire is not quenched. A place prepared for the devil and his angels and other liars and deceivers. Welcome home, Elder. Hell awaits you. You have an opportunity for a better future. Jesus came and died on a cross to give you a better future. But you want to keep living that lie, you go right ahead. You want to keep living the lie of a Jehovah's Elder? You go right ahead. Get ready for those words to part from me. I never knew you. Don't say you did it in God's name. You didn't do it in his name.
if you know there are kids who are kidnapped that are in your congregation, have them sent home. Do the right thing. What's wrong with you? You care about the power so much? Scared to lose your power? You better be more scared to lose your soul. I've already told you in earlier videos, Jesus is not impressed by your status of elder. Or overseer or governing body. He's not impressed. He is king of kings, lord of lords. He is above all. And you won't even put him there. He's already there whether you want them to be or not. Make the choice. Send the kids home. You could be a hero. You can be a good guy for once. I'm not going to sit here and beat you up. I'm going to let your conscience do that. If you still have one. There's a last way of possibly finding the kids that were taken. And remember, some of these kids are all grown up now. They've been doing this over 40 years. But I still feel that even if somebody was kidnapped 40 years ago, their parents have a right to know what happened to their kids. How was Cindy Furlick found? The private investigator uncovered a Cayman Islands bank account with the Watchtower's uh, it must have had a Watchtower connection to it. Because it said there that there was a Cayman Islands bank account with a San Diego address on it. So I began to look around to see, does the Watchtower Society have a Cayman Islands bank account? I mean, who else would fund a criminal that's hiding from the police and hiding as a Jehovah's Witness than the Watchtower? I mean, who else would protect the Jehovah's Witnesses than the Watchtower? On your screen is a page from the Security and Exchange Administration, a 2009 document. We've already talked in earlier videos about the Watchtower's funds and how they're involved in the stock market. They're also involved in something called hedge funds. And if you don't know what a hedge fund is, guys, just, just look it up. And as you're looking it up, ask yourself, if you're a Jehovah's why is the Watchtower involved in this kind of thing? Now, I don't really know how to read a lot of this legalized paperwork. I'm just going to be honest with you. But I'm just going to show you what's here. This code here represents the bank. Now, there's a bank in Connecticut with this code, but it also has a Cayman Islands bank connected to it. It says here that in 2009, as you see by the stamp here, in 2009, this particular bank account, you see here, it's it's labeled as Watchtower Bible and Tract Society of, what it was it, Pennsylvania? So you see here, the Watchtower's name is on this. And it states that in 2009, this one Cayman Islands bank account had $499,990,000 in it. 
Now, all I can say is this. If you're a Jehovah's Witness and you're watching this, you are told as a Jehovah's Witness that the world is going to end at any second with a fiery Armageddon. And then there's going to be a new system that comes in. So let me ask you. Are they going to be using dollar bills in a new system? You do know that the dollar bill has occultic symbols on it. Are they really going to be using dollar bills in a new system? If they're not going to be using dollar bills in a new system, and they're telling you the world's going to end at any second, why are they stockpiling money in an offshore bank? You see, you're taking your money and you're putting it into the box in the back of the kingdom hall. And you're told, this is going to go for the worldwide work. This is going to go for the preaching work. And then you discover, well, goodness gracious, there's a half a billion dollars hidden away in an offshore bank account. Half a billion, with a B, of your money that the leadership has hidden away. You see, they know this whole Armageddon thing is nothing, it's garbage. They've gotten rich off of you. Real rich. Could it be that this is one of the Cayman Island bank accounts that that private investigator found? That was used to finance a criminal who had kidnapped a girl and was wanted in two countries for kidnapping children? Yet he was allowed to roam among the kingdom halls and among the women and the children. And the elders who knew the man was a criminal didn't say a word to the congregation. There needs to be a global law enforcement investigation of the Watchtower Bible and Tract Society. All of its different names, as we mentioned in video 8C, I believe it is. The many different names that the Watchtower use. I think I covered 13 or 14 different names that they use. Those are just the ones I could find. All of their different bank accounts needs to be investigated to find out if this money is being used for illegal practices. But I'm a nickel and dimer. I can't do it. You guys have to get the information out. I've laid the information bare before you. All of these videos. I took my evidence. I put it up on the screen so that you can screen capture it, print it out, and show it to people. The video is almost over. My ride is here. I want to give you some hope before I leave. There are many of you who are afraid. You grew up as Jehovah's Witnesses or you were in the Jehovah's Witness group and they put you in all kinds of fear. 30 different levels of fear or more. You live with the fear of Armageddon, fear of losing your family, fear of this, fear of that. I want to give you hope. I don't live in fear. Watchtower doesn't scare me. As you can probably tell. They don't scare me. 
what name are we supposed to be believing in? They tell you to believe in the name of Jehovah. Yeah, really? Really? According to my King James Bible, there's another name we're supposed to believe in. 1 John chapter 5, verse 13. Let's see what it says. These things have I written unto you that believe on the name of the Son of God, that ye may know that ye have eternal life, and that ye may believe on the name of the Son of God. You see, when you believe on the name of the Son of God, whose name is Jesus, that is the name that was given to us humans by which we must be saved. There was no other name given to us but that name. Don't let anybody tell you that the Son of God's name is anything else. His name is Jesus. That is the name that causes demons to tremble. That is the name that moves mountains. That is the name that heals. That is the name that saves your soul. Don't let anybody change his name. The only Hebrew name, by the way, given to Jesus in the King James Bible is Emmanuel. And I challenge anybody to show me Jesus called any other Hebrew name than Emmanuel. The name Jesus was given to us as the name to save our souls. We were not told to believe on any other name. So all you need to do, guys, you pray. You don't got to do all this. And no. He hears you. He's listening for you. You pray and you ask Jesus to forgive you of your sins. To fill you with his spirit. To open your eyes. And you take your hands off. And you let him drive. You get yourself a King James Bible. And you start to read it. Start in the New Testament. And let this book clean out the garbage that was put in your head by the watchtower this book has been tried and true trustworthy for over 400 years not too many books can say that but this book is different because it's the word of God in our language for us to have there are many that would love to take this book out of your hand and put some counterfeit fake new version in your hand that changes what the Bible says <clears throat> Don't let them give you a fake sword. Because in the heat of the battle, your fake sword will break. This kind of sword in battle is not going to get it done. Spirits will laugh at this. Because metal and steel does not intimidate them. But this sword will get it done. 
stick with the good old-fashioned sword. The one that doesn't bend, the one that doesn't break, the one that's going to tell you the truth. And you don't need guys like me to tell you what to think or tell you how to think. I've learned what I learned through the book. You can learn it too. You can learn it too. And I'll be looking at YouTube for you who have leaving the cults. I want you to make your videos. I'm going to be watching. Even though I'm leaving, I'm not going away. But I'll see you down the road somewhere. And it'll be a day. It'll definitely be a day. That's better. I'll see you guys down the road. And it'll be a day just like any other day. Until it's not. And we'll light the night. We'll raise our swords. And we'll shout hallelujah. Thank you Jesus. For forgiving us of our sins. And bringing us together. Now before I leave. I want to do something. We talked about Laurie McGregor earlier. Her book. Jehovah's Witness women are not permitted the honor of praying out loud. (laughs) Well, guys... I'm not a Jehovah's Witness. Never been one, never will be one. And ladies, I want to honor you one more time. I hand you the sword. Men and women, ex-Jehovah's Witnesses, and those who will be, I hand you the sword. I give you the information, take it, use it wisely, free people from the cults. I give you the sword, the King James, to equip you in the words of God and the knowledge that he's given us. I give you blessings. In the name of Jesus. I pray that you'll follow him. Trust him. He's never led me astray. He won't lead you astray either. Sometimes you may end up on the road that you can't understand how you're there and why you're there and what's going on. You trust him, okay? You trust him. 
check out my YouTube page, guys. I still plan on doing videos and things, my music videos and things of that nature. And again, for those of you who have been asking about donations and stuff, my donation link is on my YouTube page if you want to donate anything. I put a lot of work in the last three years in putting together this series. My own money, my own time. And I really hope I've helped a lot of people. And as of now, my journey here has come to an end. Thank you for your time and for your friendship. This has been Jason Zelda. Good night, everybody. I want all of you that do to stand up and we're going to have a prayer for you and your families. And let's mean business with God. When you mean business with God, he means business with you. You form a picture in your mind of, of that specific loved one, and you name their name as we pray before God's throne of grace. Let's just pray. Father, thank you for Jesus. Thank you that you are the God of all peace. Thank you that you are the God of impossible situations, that you can turn things around, that... Lord, your power is better than anything that the enemy can offer. And Father, we are standing now in your presence. And we are going to name the name of our loved ones before your throne of grace. And I just want to pause a minute. I want you all to say their names out loud. If there's a lot of them, just name them like Smith family. But let's just do it right now. I'm going to name mine. My cousin Donna and her family, Lord, and her children. I pray for my Aunt Mary, so influenced. My Uncle Jim, over 90 years old, oh God. And Lord, you have heard us name the names of our particular family members who are involved with Jehovah's Witnesses. And we name them before your throne, and we claim them for the kingdom of God. And in the authority that you have given us as Christians to tread on scorpions and serpents and the evil thing, in that powerful name of Jesus, we bind that deceptive spirit of the Watchtower organization that it will no longer operate in their lives. Lord, we ask that you loose them to hear the gospel of Christ. Lord, however you do it, whoever you can bring into their lives, what piece of paper, whatever circumstances, we give you the permission to take them where they need to go so that they can only look up to you, Lord. And we pray for these family members. And we know that everyone here, Lord, has friends, acquaintances, persons involved in Jehovah's Witnesses. And you know them also, Lord. And we just ask that you would set them free in the name of Jesus. Let your Holy Spirit of conviction come upon them so powerfully. Those of us that were led out of the organization, not by a personal witness necessarily, but by the power of the Holy Spirit to convict us, even when we sat in the middle of that deception. Oh God, we thank you for the Holy Spirit. May he be ever so present in their lives and not leave them alone until they turn their eyes upon Jesus. Not Jesus the Archangel, Michael, but Jesus, truly God, truly man. 
And Lord, as we now dismiss this meeting, we ask that you would go with us through the days to come when we leave this mountain. And Lord, we just thank you for your goodness and ask that you bless our time of prayer together here at the front. In Jesus' name, amen.